Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Titus chapter 3. So last week, um, I actually had a title, and I don't remember exactly, but it was basically how to make the gospel attractive. And I shared last week that the gospel is attractive. I mean, what Jesus Christ did, you can't really add or take away from it. It's beautiful what Jesus Christ did for each one of us. But how we, how we live out the gospel in our lives adds more beauty to it. And also, it can detract from it if our lives don't match up with what we profess it actually, people look at it and go, well, that's what Christianity is? Well, that's kind of ugly. So how we live our lives can make the gospel that much more beautiful. And that was last week. Um, this week is kind of a continuation of that. But what uh, Titus, or what Paul is telling Titus to is basically, it's how to interact in society. How to interact in different situations and with other people. And that's what we're kind of focusing on this morning in chapter 3. And so the very first thing he starts there in verse 1 is that, and you know, we can apply this to our lives, we need to be reminded of our role in civic society. Look at verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. Now, passages like this, have always in the past, for me anyway, it's been really straightforward. You know, as, as, a, as a, a member of the United States, you know, I'm a citizen of the United States, and I'm a, I'm a resident in, in Rochester, Minnesota. And so for me, it was pretty straightforward. You know, you just pay your taxes, and you basically don't break the laws. And, and, and so for me, it was kind of straightforward. But in other generations, and also even today in other cultures, People have been grappling with passages like this. When does God's law supersede man's law? When, when, when do we say, wait, 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 I can't do that because I'm violating now God's laws. And so other people in other countries, certainly, and other people in other generations have had to deal with those kind of issues. And for me, for us, generally speaking, I know there's, there's certain situations, but generally speaking, all of us have been kind of we haven't really had those very, you know, what do we do when the law says this? And until about a couple years ago, a couple years ago, we had to, as believers, kind of flesh out. What, what does Romans 13 really mean in the context of what we're going through right now? Or this passage here in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. And born-again believers... We're on both sides of that argument, you know, and you've probably experienced that. Uh, people with on both sides of the fence, and they love the Lord, and they're Bible-believing, they're in God's Word, and yet they have a different opinion than maybe you have or somebody else has. And what's interesting is everybody has scriptures to back up what they, what they believe. Hopefully you have scriptures to back up what you believe, but, but you know, it kind of reminds me of those football games where you get, you know, you got coaches on two opposing teams, they're both born-again believers, and they're praying, Lord, let us win. It's like, well, who's he going to let win, you know? <laughs> the good team, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Not the Vikings. I'm sorry, never mind. <laughs> That was bad. Um, anyways, for some people, what we've gone through the last couple of years has been really clear cut. You know what, what our local, state, and federal government is requiring citizens to do? In their opinion, it's not violating any of God's standards. It's the right thing to do for the safety of others. In fact, it's a bad witness if you don't do it. And I've heard all these arguments, by the way. And for those that leaned heavily to that side of the fence, I was really thinking about that this week. 
And I have a question, nobody has to answer it, but just think about this. Was the American Revolution a violation of Scripture? A violation of God's principles? Because, you know, the, the American Revolution principally, generally speaking, was basically... Uh, a colonial, the colonies, they were opposing Great Britain um, because Great Britain was in, imposing stricter controls on the colonies. And so, uh, to my knowledge, and I'm not an expert, uh, but to my knowledge, Great Britain wasn't like violating God's standards for the colonies. And so, think about this. Were our Christian forefathers, the ones that were Christians in that time that took part in the revolution, were they violating God's word? Were they violating Titus chapter 3 verse 1 or Romans 13? So regarding the last couple of years, for me, it wasn't necessarily black and white. I grappled with this passage as a, as a pastor of a church. You know, what do we do as a church? And it was not an easy thing for me to do. And some of you that have been around, you know that it was, it was like, man, I'm not really sure. I kind of went back and forth a little bit on that, especially in the beginning. What was heartbreaking for me, though, was the division that it caused in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters that love the Lord, all of a sudden, it's like they're enemies of each other just because of their varying opinions about that. And, you know, I think that this was basically a relatively... I mean, for some people, this was a major deal. I'm not, I don't want to minimize it, but in some ways, it was relatively, you know, not a life or death situation. But I'm afraid that what we've just gone through is just the tip of the iceberg because society is going to continue changing, government's going to continue changing, and I don't think it's going to be for the best. I think we're going to be faced with more and more, as born-again believers, we're going to be faced with more and more issues where, wow, the, the government's saying this, well, what do I do? And so I think this was just the tip of the iceberg. And so I pray, I pray for the church, man, that we as the church local or universal, that, man, that division wouldn't happen every time like it had this last time. Well, Paul was living under a godless government. In fact, the government that he was living under was worse than the government that we are under today, that we are part. You know, he was unjustly imprisoned. And against, against this backdrop, I mean, he's in prison, and against this backdrop, he writes to Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and to be ready for every good work. You and I as believers, we have a heavenly citizenship, right? The Bible says that we're strangers and sojourners. You can think of it as like being tourists or resident aliens. I was a resident alien for many, many years, so I can totally identify with that. I was born up in Canada and grew up in the United States. I was in the military and everything, but I was a resident alien. And so, you know, as a resident alien, yeah, you know, I've got a homeland, so to speak. I was pretty young when we left Canada, so that my concept of homeland was California, basically, is that where I grew up. But even as a tourist or a resident alien, you still have to abide by the laws of the land. You don't get it. You don't get a free ticket. You know, oh, you're not a citizen. Well, you can just go ahead and do whatever you want. I, you still have to abide by the lands. And so you and I, we, are, we have a heavenly citizenship, but in the meantime, we're still on earth here. We're still underneath government uh, uh, authorities. And so we have civic responsibilities to the governments that God has put in place. Now, by the time that Paul was imprisoned in Rome, Caesar Nero was an emperor, or was the emperor, I should say. And at that time, especially towards the end of his reign, Christians were considered to be enemies of society. Why? 
Well, because they opposed the pagan practices, the the social pagan practices that were prevalent in their day. Emperor worship was prevalent in their day. And there were things that the, that the Christians of that day, they, they were the, for them it was black and white. I can't, we can't do those things. And so Christians in Paul's day took a stand on those issues and they were labeled as strange, as enemies of society. And yet, historically, man, the church exploded exponentially. So thinking about that, I wonder how they responded to these different things that they had to take a stand for. Were they militant in their stand? Did they trash their government and their leadership? Did they have a bad attitude towards those over in authority? I mean, when you read this from Paul, saying it doesn't sound like he had a bad attitude. It didn't sound like he was militant. But he knew what was God's law and what was man's law. And so Paul tells, not only reminds them to be subject to rulers and authorities and obey, but he also says to be ready for every good work. In other words, to be salt and light. You think about salt, you know, salt gives flavor, it seasons things. Salt preserves things, you know, back when the pilgrims, or not the pilgrims, but the pioneers were coming across the United States, they salted their meat, you know, they had salt pork and stuff because it preserved the meat. So as they're traveling along, they had, they had protein to eat. Salt cleanses, and light, light illuminates what is in the dark around it. In some cases, it even provides warmth, a source of light. A source of light not only illuminates what's dark around it, but it also provides a beacon for people to be, to be uh, guided to it. So where you and I stand on the issues of our day... We have, to, we have to, in, our own, in our, our own understanding, our own understanding of Scripture and how the Holy Spirit's speaking to us, what does God's Word have to say about whatever the issue is? You can pick whatever, whatever issue. How are you going to take that stand? Are you going to be militant? Or are you going to take that stand with love? And so we need to remind ourselves of our heavenly citizenship. And the fact that we're not in heaven yet, there's a reason why we're not there. God has called you and I to be ambassadors for Christ. And so whatever stance you take, is your stance or your attitude helping or hurting the gospel? Are we influencing our culture in a positive way? Or are we just going with the flow? Or are we just militantly against everything and everyone? Because there are people that are like that, just everything and everyone. It's terrible, you know, and it's, uh, what kind of witness is that? So regarding governments and everything, we, we need to understand where we stand. We need to have a godly stance, and I think we need to do it with love. The next thing we need to deal with is in verse 2. We need to respond correctly to difficult people. Look at verse 2. To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Now, when I was looking at verse 2, you know, that is really easy to do when people are nice, (laughs) when people are good, you know, when people are kind back to you. It's really easy to do those things. But what if they're not good? What if they're difficult? It doesn't change, verse 2. And so Paul told Titus to, to remind them to speak evil of no one. That word literally means speaking evil is the word blaspheme. And it really boils down to this, to hurt the reputation 
or smite with reports or words. You know, to kill someone with their, kill their reputation with your words. It also means to vilify, and to vilify really just means to make someone out a villain before other people. And the way that usually happens is through gossip. You start trash-talking somebody in front of somebody else or, or about to somebody else, and, and also now they've got this bad attitude about whatever the person you're struggling with. So we need to speak evil of no one. The next thing we need to do is to be peaceable. And that word literally means without battle or without controversy. And in the context here, it means that you're not disposed to fight. You're not contentious or quarrelsome. And I wrote down this proverb that's just a good reminder for each one of us. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And you've known it. I, I know it in my own marriage, you know, and in my family or in relationships with people. How I respond, man, it can set the tone for the rest of the, you know, rest of the day or the, you know, that's, that encounter with what that person. How I respond to them, it really makes a difference. If I right away, if I'm, I'm ready for a fight and I'm going to hold my ground and I'm going to tell them my opinion no matter what, well, I can expect that they're going to hold their ground. It's just, it, you can expect conflict. And so a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The next thing he says is to be gentle. And that word literally means fair or equitable, but in the context here it means to be lenient, to be yielding, to be unassertive. Man, that's a tough thing to do in an argument, you know, especially when you're right. I'm right, <laughs> they're wrong, and you know, I want to tell them I'm wrong. Can you be lenient? Can you be yielding? Paul was addressing the Corinthians and in Corinth, Christians were, sent, were, were suing other Christians. They were going to court with each other. And he had this comment to say, verse 6, uh, chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7. He said, now therefore it's already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Man, that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing. And yet that's what Paul told the Corinthians. So we're to be gentle, to we're to be yielding. And then we're to show humility to all men. Now, I think we all know what humility means. But what I want to focus on is the showing humility. Showing means to manifest. That means to demonstrate humility. Showing also means to prove humility. Proving humility, what does that mean? Or how does that differ? Well, I think it means being sincere because, you know, a lot of times you can kind of feign humility. You can act humble in front of a person, but in your mind, you're in your heart, man, you're not humble. It's just, you're just outwardly for whatever reason. So to be sincerely humble from the heart, that means that's what showing humility is. And then it says to all men, showing humility to all men, that means even those who you feel superior to. Again, that's a tough thing. Or those that you're at odds with. Man, showing humility to them. In other words, being unbiased in your humility. And so showing humility to all men. That's difficult with people because it's just difficult. <laughs> it's difficult. You guys know it. When you're in a situation, this is a hard thing to do. It can be very convicting, very challenging. But think about this. By not responding to people in those difficult situations in the same manner that they're responding to you, 
It is spiritually disarming. It's spiritually disarming. It provides an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to flow through you to convict the world of sin, like the Bible says, and to convince them of their need of a Savior. It's disarming. We were watching a, a movie, Teresa and I, that uh, uh, Voice of the Martyrs just put out about Sabina uh, Wormbrand. And it was uh, from the late 30s into the early 40s. And it showed how her and Richard, they would go to their neighbors and they would just shower them with kindness over and over and over again. And these people were ready for a fight when they would knock on the door. You know, it's like everybody was angry. And and yet they acted in such a way that it just totally threw them off balance. They're like, what is with these people? And then finally, and some of them came to faith in the Lord, the ones that they, that the ones that they portrayed in the movie, from the, uh, I guess from her book. So dealing with people is difficult, but not responding to them in the same manner they respond to you, man, you, you just throw them off. The next thing that Paul wants Titus to remind the people on Crete is to remember their past. And we need to remember our past. Look at verse 3. For we ourselves were once, were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Keep in mind that you were once foolish. You know, you once did things without thinking. You did things ignorant, out of ignorance. And because of our flesh, sometimes we still have a tendency to do foolish things. So we need to remember that we're not that much different than the person that we're in conflict with. We were once foolish. We were once in rebellion against God and his word. We were once deceived. We were once deceived by the God of this world. We were once deceived by sin itself. The Bible says sin is deceptive. And some people that are, in a, you know, some difficult people that you're dealing with, especially if they're unbelievers, they are operating from a position of spiritual ignorance, just like you and I once did in our lives. We were once slaves to various lusts and pleasures. That's a key thing to remember. I once did those same things that these people are doing, whatever it is, you could name, you know, whatever... One thing that it's hard and it, it just, it's, a, it's a good thing to get into your mind is to stop expecting unbelievers to act like believers because they're unbelievers. They're ignorant. They're spiritually ignorant. They're, they're, they're slaves to their lusts and their stuff. Stop act, expecting them to act like believers, especially when you know, we've had familial situations where you know, unsafe family members are like, why are they acting that way? Oh, that's right. They don't have a relationship with the Lord. How can they act any different? They're slaves to what they're, they're slaves to their sin. If you have that attitude, you have that understanding, it'll save you from a lot of disappointment and disillusionment. And then remember that you once were a miserable wretch too. Why? We all lived in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's a miserable way to live. Where you're just, everything, you know, you're, you're angry with everybody. You're envious of everybody. You hate certain groups of people or certain individuals. That's a miserable way to live. So, you know, and why does Paul tell Titus to remind them of these things? Why do we need to remember our past? Because when you're dealing with an unbeliever or you're dealing with a difficult person, it's going to help you to have empathy for them. Because you're going to understand, hey, you know what, they're not that much different than I am. 
I remember being like that too. I remember saying stupid stuff like that too, or responding that way. The next thing is to recall how we were saved. Look at verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know, it was the kindness of the Lord that drew us to him. It was his kindness. And he says, not by works of righteousness. We didn't get it all together before Jesus Christ saved us. It's nothing that I've done to earn my salvation. In fact, it's according to his mercy that he saved us. What is mercy? Mercy can be boiled down to not getting what you deserve. That's what mercy is. Not getting what you deserve. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And in another chapter, that was in Matthew 5, 7, in chapter 6, verse 14, he goes even a step further and he says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now we've been saved through God's mercy. We didn't deserve salvation. In fact, we deserved hell. And so we didn't get what we deserved we were given mercy. And we were saved through the re- washing of regeneration. And, and that washing, it basically means to be bathed all over. And what this is speaking of, I believe in this passage, is speaking of how you and I have been cleansed from sin when we put our trust in Christ. And the washing of regeneration, regeneration, it's, it's speaking about our spiritual rebirth. Uh, I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Man, that's such a beautiful thing. When you get, enter into a relationship with the Lord, you, you repent of your sins, you're, you're forgiven, you're, you're cleansed. And it's like you, you've got a new lease on life because you really do have a new lease on life. You're a new creation. And then he says, in the renewing of the Holy Spirit, And that renewing is to renew qualitatively. And it means a renewing or a renovation which makes a person different than in the past. You don't have to be the same person you used to be. And it's the Holy Spirit that does the renewing. It's not you trying to renew yourself. It's not you trying to change yourself. It's the work of the Holy Spirit when you give your life over to him. And he dwells in you. And he does the work of renewing. Says the, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I love that. He poured out abundantly on us. God doesn't limit the abundance of the Holy Spirit he pours out on us. But sometimes, you and I as believers, we're not submitted to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we walk according to the flesh, and the Bible says we can even grieve the Holy Spirit, whom we were sealed with for the day of redemption. You know, I, I heard a pastor share this once, and I'm like, man, this is so true. It rings true to my heart. And so I'm just going to say it's my verse, but, or what I'm saying, but actually I came from somebody else. But it's so true. I can't always tell when I'm filled with the Spirit. I really can't. I can't always tell that. 
when I'm walking according to the Spirit. I, I don't, it's like, oh, man, I'm really walking according to the Spirit. I'm, I'm really filled with the Spirit. I can't always tell that. But I can guarantee you this. I can tell when I'm not filled with the Spirit. <laughs> I can tell when I'm not walking according to the Spirit. That's why I'm frequently asking the Lord to fill me once more time, to baptize me afresh with the Holy Spirit. And it's mostly just a function of fully yielding myself and submitting to the Holy Spirit in my life, just surrendering to him. And it says, then having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We've been rendered just, and that means innocent, by his grace. So not only are we saved according to his mercy, we're not getting what we deserve, but we're made innocent by his grace, we're getting what we don't deserve. And so we're to remember how we were saved. And when we think about that, when you think of how you came to faith in Christ and how it was a work of the Holy Spirit, how it was the Lord that did that work in you, you're no special, more special than the other person that you're interacting with in that difficult situation or whatever. You're not any different than them. You're not more special. And, you know, sometimes that difficult person is not an, un, is not an unsafe person. Sometimes they're a saved person. They're a believer. That's like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought you were a believer, and yet we're dealing with this situation. When the cases of a, of a person that's another believer, you're going through a tough time with them, remember this. They have the same Holy Spirit you have. They've been saved the same way you have. They were purchased by the same blood that redeemed you. And Jesus Christ died for them just like he died for you. You know, if you can grasp this, if you can fully own that and go, this is so true, you can grasp that understanding, it'll equip you to be merciful to them. To not give them what they deserve. They deserve a tongue lashing. They deserve this. They deserve that. But you know what? So do I. God's granted me mercy. So I'm going to extend mercy to that person in that situation. It equips us to be gracious. To give them what they don't deserve. Man, they don't deserve my respect. They don't deserve my forgiveness. But neither did I. And so I'm going to extend grace to them as well. And then here in verse 8, we need to reinforce our understanding. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, like reinforce this, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. We don't do good things in order to be saved. Okay, just get, get that Understand that. You don't do good things like to get God to love you or to get God to be happy with you. Or, you know, you don't do it for salvation. You don't do works for salvation. But if we are saved, works or good things, it should be a natural outflow of a clean, regenerated heart. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. There should be a sign. There should be, there should be, there should be, a, there should be some evidence of salvation in a person, and that's works. Again, we don't do it to earn our salvation, but it should be a natural outflow of having been saved. And then he says maintaining good works, and that maintaining, it really means to take the lead. So what he's saying is to take the lead in good works, 
to take the initiative. That means just to, 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 to go out and do those things. Then the next thing in verse 9 is that we need to retreat from the unimportant. Retreat from the unimportant. Look at verse 9. But, afford, excuse me, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. And this might sound cliche to you, but I'm going to say them anyways. Don't major on the minors. Some people get so caught up in the minors. That's their focus. That's their thing. And that's all that they are about is the minors. Man, don't get caught up in the minors. Don't major on the minors. Keep the main thing the main thing. Avoid getting drawn into disputes and controversies, controversies especially over non-salvation issues. And I could list things out, but you guys probably have heard things. I mean, just don't get drawn into those things. And if a person persists in those disputes or controversies, or they won't stop causing strife and dissension through speaking evil of others through gossip, warn them. Hey, hey, brother, hey, sister, maybe we got to stop doing this, or you got to stop doing this. You know, warn them a couple times. But if they excuse me, if they persist, look at verse ten. Reject the dividers. Verse 10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning and being self-condemned. What is a divisive man? That word divisive, it just means someone that causes schisms, that causes divisions. It's okay to go to someone, a brother or sister in the Lord or even someone in your workplace, and say, hey, you know what, this? I think this is turning into gossip. And if, if, if especially if you say that here, you say in the fellowship here to someone, you know, usually that's enough to change the conversation. Because people go, oh, okay, and they'll back off and they won't do that. Usually that's enough to change the conversation. But if you find someone unwilling to change the conversation, or they repeatedly do that, there's a simple solution. Just don't hang out with them. Don't hang out with them because their attitude's going to rub off on you. You know, I was reflecting on this whole passage, or this verse, actually, and I was thinking back to times in my life, and there are times in my life that I had friendships with different believers, and they were born-again believers. I don't doubt their salvation at all. They love the Lord Jesus Christ, but, you know, they were either walking in the flesh, they were either gossiping, or, you know, they were doing things that kind of appealed to my fleshly nature. In other words, rather than edifying that, rather than that relationship being edifying, the relationship is actually, I'm starting to become more like them. It's kind of dragging me down. And I started realizing it, and I've got good friends. I still have good friends. I'm not going to name names, but I've got good friends. And I, and I look back at the times that I hung out with those friends, and I realize, you know, that wasn't, the, I wasn't really... I wasn't really walking according to the Spirit. I wasn't really filled with the Spirit. I was, I was kind, of, kind of dragging myself back, in a sense, in those relationships. And I think back about that now. And so I just, just an encouragement. If you're in a relationship with somebody that's, man, they're not building you up. They're actually kind of, and maybe, it's they're, they're, maybe what they do is kind of something that you're drawn to, and it's in a negative thing. It's not a, man, stay away. Just avoid them. 
I think about it in natural things, you know, in, in things like uh, uh, when I first started, and I've, I'll just say this right now, I'm not a very good mandolin player, but one time, one year, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to pick up the mandolin and start playing it. And, uh, and so I bought a mandolin and, and I started plucking around and my son, who's never picked up a mandolin in his life, would say, hey, Dad, why don't you try playing it this way? I'm like, where did you get this knowledge? Well, that's a different story. But what I found, what I, what I found is that there's a couple guys, uh, a couple and a, and a couple other guys that lived up in Hastings. And uh, I got to know them through the Calvary Chapel up in St. Paul. And this guy was a music major. He loved bluegrass music. And he said, hey, we do jams every night, every Friday night at our house. Why don't you come out and play? And, you know, they, they, they weren't like, okay, Don's here. We've got to play really slow for Don. They were just like, okay, just and catch up, you know. And so I, I'm like, okay, you know, how do I do this and stuff? What it did was it caused me, again, I'm not being prideful, believe me. It caused me to get better than what I was when I first picked it up. I haven't arrived by any stretch. Um, but if I had just hung around with people that were just, you know, starting out just like me, I wouldn't have been challenged to advance. That's the same thing with our spiritual lives. If you're in a relationship, a friendship with someone, and they're not walking you know, according to the Spirit, they're not filled with the Spirit, they're walking according to the flesh, they're doing things that you, know, you tend to gravitate to when you're not really walking close to the Lord, man, stay away from them. It's not good. If you want to grow spiritually, it's a good maxim to live by. Anyways, we get to verse 12, and these are Paul's closing words to Titus. He says, when I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Now, when we had talked about Titus in the beginning, uh, you know, Titus had been given this job by Paul to do, right? He was told to go to Crete and to start uh, doing, you know, taking care of the churches there, start appointing elders, and, and then just teaching these things like what we just read today. And so Titus was there, and then evidently, Paul was planning to send either Artemis or Tychicus to replace Titus at Crete. Now, Titus could have done a couple different things, right? Titus could have said, wait a minute, this is my ministry. It's been building up. What are you, what are you guys doing here? This is my... Titus just, wherever Paul sent him, Titus like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go. As I mentioned in the introduction a couple weeks back to Titus, Titus was useful to Paul. Why? Because he, was, because he was willing to go wherever Paul needed him. He was teachable and he was flexible. Man, that's a, those are great qualities. If you're willing, if you're teachable, and if you're flexible, man, God can use you. God can use you. You won't be unfruitful. You'll be fruitful. And then Zenos and Apollos, they must have delivered the letter to, to Titus. That's what I'm guessing anyways. And so all these men, they were willing to be used by Paul in ministry. They were teachable and they were flexible. And as a result, they were fruitful. The word of God went forth. The kingdom was advanced. And so Paul tells Titus, let our people, 
He's talking about the fellowships on the island of Crete to also be fruitful by maintaining good works. In other words, taking the lead in good works to take the initiative and to meet urgent needs so that they will be uh, fruitful also. And so for you and I, if we want to be fruitful in ministry, man, be willing to be used by the Lord. Be flexible. Be teachable. If you do those things, you and I will be fruitful also. I'm going to have the worship team come on up here. You know, we live in a fallen world. Fallen world has sinners. You know, we were once sinners. We were, we still, I, you know, we still sin, but we're saved by grace. And you know, I confess my sins to the Lord, and I'm, I'm forgiven. So there's times when I'm in the flesh. There's times when you're in the flesh. Again, we deal with people that are unsaved in our community, in our workplaces, or maybe sometimes even in our own homes. And I hope that you're encouraged to take a look at Titus 3 and how to, how to interact in those kind of situations. And so what I want to do is we're closing, I just want to pray for those that are in difficult situations. And not only in difficult situations, but like I said, I think what we just went through the last couple of years is the tip of the iceberg. I think you and I as believers, we're going to have more and more situations where we're going to have to go, well, okay, how do God's word says this and I'm being told that, what do I do? And so we need prayer for that. We need wisdom. We need God's Holy Spirit to, to teach us, to guide us uh, through those difficult things. So let's go ahead and go, Lord, in prayer.